Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So welcome once again. <coughs> As is our custom, we go around at this point introducing ourselves. Uh, I know there are several people here for the first time, so can I see who is here for the first time? Uh, what's your name? I'm Larry. Welcome, Larry. Skip. Welcome, Skip. Anybody else? Okay, so uh, let's start uh, this way. Uh, my name is Oswaldo. Ben. Jeff. Gary. Kenny. Lee. My name is Mark. I'm Chris. Uh, my name is Harley. I'm Tom. I'm Jerry. I'm Roy. Larry. Jack. Jim. AJ. Kent. <laughs> Jay, Paul, Richard, Paul, Skip, Grisha, Paul, Peter, David. Okay, and it's my pleasure to introduce a uh, good friend of the Dharma, one of my favorite uh, Dharma speakers, uh, Janan Braka. And uh, my apologies for reading off of the uh, of the electronic equipment, but I promise it will be silent. <laughs> and, uh, Just jin- make, make something up. Okay. Jinjitsu Jusei. We see Dharma transmission from Soto Zen Buddhist lineage from Zen, Zenkei Blanche Hartman. Jana's nonprofit organization, Jana Fraka Community Services, provides a wide range of services, including support groups, workshops, classes, and talks. Jana's community work is based in harm reduction principles, a way to meet everyone with complete acceptance and allow for client-centered modality. There are three meditation groups a week in San Francisco, which are free and open to everyone. So for details, and then www, you can, you can fill in the rest yeah. of the talk. <laughs> yeah, so to make sure that everybody remembers. So welcome, John. Thank you so much. Um, well, it's just absolutely wonderful to be back here again with all my, my dear ones. Can everybody hear me all right? Yes. Um, I, I was just complaining it's been too long. You know, I thought you cared about me more than that. <laughs> it's been quite a while. I, I still remember one of my favorite memories is when we went on that retreat to Vajrapani. How many people were on that Vajrapani retreat? Oh, that was such fun. We need to do that again, or at least the skit night part. (laughs) We could do that part again. I'm sure there's one or two of you have fond memories of the sex life of the haggis. The only volunteer that would join in and do it with me was that Tibetan monk. Everybody else knew me too well. (laughs) <laughs> so it really is a joy to, to be here again and um, no one's getting out of here today until you're enlightened <laughs> I've decided life is too short seriously I'm actually quite, I know I'm always joking I'm serious at the same time um A couple of months ago, as you know, I live in the mountains in a little temple, and everybody's welcome to come and visit. There's hundreds of acres of land you can go walks in, and it's just beautiful. Um, So I like to sit outdoors. I find it's kind of easiest for me when I'm sitting outdoors, and I can kind of lose track of myself more easily, get myself out of the way, you know, not be so concerned about me and what I want to do or anything, just sit down and then there's trees and then there's the lake. So I do that quite often. So a couple of months ago I went out to do that and I was sitting down under a tree, you know, pretending I'm Buddha. 
<laughs> waiting for the Mara temptations or Maya, is it Maya or Mara? Mara, the temptations that the historical Buddha apparently experienced under a tree, but no dancing girls appeared. So. <laughs> I was sitting looking at the ducks instead, and I felt kind of tingly, like my lips started to tingle and my hands started to tingle, and it was a very strange sensation, and I, I felt kind of woozy. And I thought, well, I'll just sit still till it goes away, because, as you know, one of our great teachings, things change, things pass. So I sat there, and I thought it had gone away, and I thought I had gotten up and walked up to a higher path to walk back to the little temple where I live. And the next thing I know, I wake up, and I'm on my back, and I'm looking up through the trees at the sky. And... You know, of course, there was a white flash of light right before that. So. <laughs> I saw all as one. Um, but I was lying there and I couldn't move a muscle. Nothing would move at all. The only thing that was going on, it was like supremely wonderful, what they call bare awareness practice. Something was just there, but that's all that was going on. And I couldn't even move a finger. And I just kind of lay there, and for a moment, I, a few moments, I thought, when I could think again, I thought, well, maybe this is it, you know? Maybe this is me going, maybe, you know, a clock moved in the brain, and in another few seconds, it's going to move a bit further, you know, goodbye, cruel world, you know? So I was just kind of lying there, and then, you know what? It was enormously relaxing. It was incredibly relaxing. Now, you know, I, I do work in hospice, and some of my guys that I see here work in hospice also. And it was very reassuring. There was absolutely nothing, finally, 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 after a very busy life, there was nothing I could do at all. I couldn't even do that. And it was incredibly relaxing. Well, as you can tell, eventually the body started working again. <laughs> Um, but apart from that kind of relief that at that time it was so relaxing because there wasn't anything to do um, I also got very inspired because sometimes we do act like we're going to be here forever and unless somebody in here is harboring superpowers we're not I mean I hate to mention it but you know. <laughs> and so it gave me an urgency about trying to communicate what has been given to this vehicle to communicate. After all, these are just the things we're driving around in right now. These bodies are not us. This is what we've been given right now, what emerged for us right now to drive around in. But don't mistake the vessel for what's actually sitting here. So I really, f I just had such a strong urge that Something about that has to be communicated. Now I feel it's urgent to really communicate things because, boom, any moment, you know? And so there's been a lot of things developing since then. And um, as you know, I don't sit and write talks. I like to get myself out of the way and, and see what comes through. Um, I often wonder, it's a fascinating thought, where do the words come from? You know, because they're not coming, I don't have them down here on a piece of paper, they're just coming. You know. That's always interested me, where do the words come from? But in the end it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> but there's a freedom to that, there's an enormous freedom. Angie Boisevain, uh, the place I live now is um, the temple of Kobanchino Roshi, who is a slightly different lineage than Suzuki Roshi, which is the one I hold. And last year they made me a lineage holder of Kobanchino's lineage too. So now we've got a couple of, at least a couple of streams going. Um, but I still find myself going back to Suzuki Roshi quite a lot. So I could just ha hand you all a copy of this and we could all go out and have lunch. If you <laughs> it's basically, I just spent a few days doing um, recording 
um, they want my simple teachings of how to stay in this present moment as part of an online course. And it's also to do with medical cannabis. As some of you know, I'm a medical cannabis advocate. Because if you're using crack or alcohol, I'll sure talk to you about medical cannabis. It does less harm. That's the harm reduction part. Uh, top of the charts, top of the pops for harm is alcohol. Um, you can find this chart online or on my Facebook page. <laughs> and then it goes down, 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 you know, there's crack and smack and, you know, uh, tobacco, which I still stuck with. And then kind of way down there is uh, cannabis. So anyway, it became obvious to me in the last few days of practicing and trying to get the teaching out that the most important thing for us to remember, and it's very simple, is focus. Where are you focused? And uh, a friend actually drove me here, but he had to go home to get the microphone that I'm supposed to return to the person today. They were told me not to get their microphone back. Um, but I was talking to him about the recordings, and I said, well, it's just a simple matter of focus. Like, for example, right now, you're listening to my voice. That's your focus. So raise your hand if you're suffering from anything that's happening right now in this very second. See, I told you you were all going to go home and write. <laughs> there never is any suffering right now in this moment. And there are all kinds of fancy practices. There's Tibetan ones and Jewish ones and Muslim ones and Christian ones and Buddhist ones. All to do with staying right here in this moment. And I found that's actually what I spoke about for the whole five classes on this recording I was doing. Then I, I just happened to find this from Suzuki Roshi. Even though you call it a mountain or a river, that is just another name of the one reality. When we realize this, we are not fooled by words like nature and result or Buddhahood. We see things themselves with a clear mind. We understand Buddha nature in this way. This way right here. So I was talking to Hector, who will appear sometime soon, I hope, here the rest of the talk, who helped me to do the recordings. It was very technical, and I'm not. And I said to him, well, it's basically all about just being right here. And he went, aha. Uh -huh. And I went, no, no, wait. Really? Really, really. I mean that, really. Because where we are usually is right here, but what we're thinking about right here. We talk about the two realities, the absolute reality and the relative reality. And that we all live in the relative reality. We all have, you know, consequences happen from things we do, and we check everything out through our perception, through our understanding, which is, of course, what we've got to work with. You know, we'll, we'll hear a text, and right away we'll be, oh, wait, let me think, what does that mean? So we're always digging away at it that way, the, the relative reality. And absolute reality is more the larger self. We are all included. Every single thing in the whole planet is included in that larger reality. And that's what they talk about as enlightenment. Realizing that we're just, not just, not just, we're both. And we can step beyond both. We're not just this small reality. We already agreed we're not this, just this body. So we're actually completely part of something larger. And that, to me, is where the freedom is, the liberation. The fact that we don't have to be stuck with these small perceptions. Especially if we have a sitting practice where we stay right here before we start going into thinking. Can you just stay focused right here like you're doing right now with my voice? Everything in your life can actually be that focus. Your hands on your knees. In the middle of a busy day and you're all caught up Remember, stress and worry is always the future or the past. It's not happening right now. Check it out. It's not happening from anything that's happening right now. 
I could get stressed right away thinking about, oh, I hope they like those recordings I made. Oh, and I can feel it in my body right now, but it isn't right now. And that's the great liberation. Because all we actually have is this right now. Blanche, my teacher, uh, Zenke Blanche Hartman, she says, she, she laughs, she just had a book published called Seeds for a Boundless Life. And she said to me, really, we, we only need one page in the book. And all it says is just this, is it? So as her disciple, and I don't mind at all using that word, this. That's it, right? There. Okay, we can all go. Um, <laughs> but it seemed to me somehow, as I say, after that experience of waiting up lying under that tree, um, it just seemed really, really urgent to kind of get this across. I mean, I felt such relief the first time I managed to actually just be here. And I've had a lifetime that's included addictions and all kinds of wild stuff and using things to escape from right now. Oh, I can't stand it. I think I'll do this, that or the other. Of course, I'm Scottish, so in my 20s it was alcohol in my teens, you know. But we all use something to get away we don't think we can deal with this right now, but there's, n there's nowhere to go to. This is it. Um, I did an afternoon tea up at Jikoji a few weeks ago and told that story, which I can never remember the people's names, but the master and the disciple. And the master says to the disciple, here is the highest peak of the holy truth. Here's the highest holy temple. There it is, right there. And the other guy looked at it and went, Oh, you're right, what a pity. Because <laughs> I get the feeling sometimes that we're all waiting for, you know, the golden flash, the lightning strike, you know, the dancing girls or the dancing boys, all the time, everything. But this is it. And, you know, sorry. <laughs> um, it's focus, and I, there's a famous story, I think it's Yun Men, but I'm sure, I'm not scholarly enough, someone will correct me with the right name. But that famous story where I think it's Yun Men, walking over a bridge, <coughs> and he looks down on the water and sees his reflection, and says, everywhere I go I see myself. It was, you know, his enlightenment moment. Everywhere I go I see myself. And I had the understanding of that. You know, you can hear or read the same thing for years, and it just keeps changing. You know, it's a bad memory. Anyway, <laughs> I don't remember reading that before. No, you can read texts like Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I've been reading that for 23, 24 years, and I'm still like, wow, really? Oh, I didn't, I didn't see it that way before. So for a long time that story made me think of how we're not free, really, it's hard to be free because we're so stuck in our own perceptions of things. And if you've read the Heart Sutra, it talks about, you know, we compose ourselves. The first part is the only physical part, form. So that's the only, the rest of them we make them up, form. Feelings. As soon as form arises in the mind, we get a feeling about it. Piece of paper, there's peace of mind. But piece of paper arises in my mind, I immediately think, did I write the right thing? I don't like it. And right away, there it is, feeling, I'm away. I'm not here anymore. I don't like it, feeling, perception. I wrote the wrong thing. They won't love me anymore. Formation, I always write the wrong thing. Consciousness, I'm stupid. And all I thought of was a piece of paper. That's how quickly we go running up the road. Try it next time you're on the bus. I talk to my group sometimes about Muni bus meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down on the Muni bus and you can do it right here. There's people you don't know right here. Go on, make some assumptions about them. We sit down, we look around, and it's like we know everybody already. That's us just seeing ourselves everywhere we go. That's just my perception, that person, that kind of person, that kind, prejudgment, 
prejudice, that kind of person always looks like that. Look at his beard and, you know, I'm off, I've gone. So to me now the urgent thing is how do we stay right here because this is all we have. Because there is a true reality beyond our perceptions of it, beyond what we're thinking about it. How do you do that thing it says in the sutra, to carry yourself forward and meet myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and manifest themselves is enlightenment. Here it is right now, it's all manifesting through us right now. So that was my understanding of justice is it. Mm, or rather everywhere you go you see yourself that I can't unless I know that I'm having a clear moment or two when I look at someone I'm just perceiving my own ideas when I look at anything I'm just seeing what I see and then recently that all changed we had a really good forgive me be comfortable we had a really great teacher who came, we just did a seven-day sushina, seven-day meditation where I live. And he was talking about everywhere you go you see, you see yourself, and suddenly it completely changed. That little bit that I just read from Suzuki Roshi, just the very first part, and by the way, for those of you who are not good scholars like me, if you're reading any text, the oomph of it is always in the first paragraph. You actually have to read the first paragraph. So what he says is, even though you call it a mountain or a river, that is just another name for the one reality. And somehow all of that came together. And everywhere you go you see yourself actually change drastically for me. And this one, one true reality, um, I was looking at uh, Shohaku Okamura. I like to kind of fertilize the field before talking, you know, see what grows out of that. And if you haven't read Shohaku Okamura, you should. He's, he used to be my neighbor when I lived at Zen Center. And he's the Dharma heir of homeless Kodo, who took the term homeless as a, instead of an insult as a, a way to be proud. So anyway, Shohaku Okamura talked about this one reality because I know it can be hard to get a grasp of. He says in Zazen or in our just sitting practice and just being present we can become, that's when we become one with the total interpenetrating reality that is universal reality. So when we're just sitting or just focusing on your hand on your leg or your feet on the ground, at that point, without all the thinking, all blah, 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 it's still there. We just don't have to go there with it. At that point, that's when we're experiencing what they call the <laughs> enlightenment. That's, what, that's the absolute reality that we're talking about, just being right there. Listen to that, see? Any suffering right now? Um, of course, this, this absolute reality that we're talking about is not some special thing way over there. You know, I mean, if it doesn't contain us and all our delusions and funny bits, then it's not absolute, is it? So you've probably heard of Dogen. He talks about practice and enlightenment being the same thing. That's because all of this is always contained right now in this moment. The small self, the big self, everything is all contained. So that's what I started to actually perceive. It was a, a change in the way I was meeting the world. And it's rather like this absolute reality that people talk about. It looked to me, if you can imagine it, I'm very visual, like a, like a giant jellyfish. Right? There's absolute reality. Can you picture a big, giant, wobbly jellyfish. Right, you got it? <laughs> There's a sceptical look on a few faces. <laughs> it's just me, it's all right. <laughs> and then we, as we have our life, become like one of those little, you know, little things that sticks out. What's the technical word? No, no, not that one. The other thing that sticks out. Antenna? Antenna, a pod or a or something. A tentacle, thank you. 
So the large jellyfish is total reality. This is so technical, I know. And then we come up as a wee tentacle and we stick out from the absolute reality. And that's where we can make the mistake that causes a lot of suffering, thinking that we're something separate. You know, I'm, I'm different from him, look at him, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm separate from, pick your one, you know, whatever religion you don't like or whatever skin colour you might not care for or sexuality or some other silly thing you're picking up on. When actually all you're looking at is, I think it's pseudopod, but I'm not sure. All you're actually looking at is something exuding, sticking up for a wee while, from that larger reality. And every one of us is just one of those little sticking up things from the larger reality. And so we come up and after a while, we go back down again. And then after another while we'll come up again, something else, some other form. And then we go back down again. So that changed the way I saw that saying, everywhere you go you see yourself. Because literally I am looking at myself. I'm looking at another little exudation or whatever you might want to call it. And that to me suddenly made a lot of things fall into place like this teaching of no separation well of course there's no separation it's all the one thing the man shows it's all the same thing so we're just looking if we're seeing differences we're constructing the differences or maybe that bit of slimy jellyfish is slightly differently shaped from the next bit of slimy jellyfish <laughs> But basically, we're all slimy jellyfish. So that's the great realization that we're all slimy jellyfish. So before I get into you know everyday practical uses for that, perhaps this might be a good point to see if anybody wants to question anything there or share anything there. I just get that feeling because it is a rather a large jellyfish. Hi, thanks. Um, I want to ask you about in, in, in the relative world, we have to plan and fix and schedule, and that takes us out of the, the moment, and, and we kind of lose our peace. And when you're dealing with the relative world, things that seem important, like health and finances and relationships, how do, you, how do you go there and do the planning and the fixing without losing your your that was just what I was going to get oh, onto. Okay. I just want to. <laughs> I mean, it's very helpful to have time to practice sitting quietly, or lying down quietly, or walking quietly, or riding your bicycle quietly. It's good to practice because we are simply training the mind to stay here, really. Um, but it is important to remember that the. Um, the absolute does contain the relative. There's no separate thing. You know, that's why they say a Buddha and a sentient being is the same thing. The absolute and the relative. Because if it doesn't contain our funny little bits, then it's not absolute. So, in actual fact, your complete freedom can be found in those very daily things. And you know, the Sangha I have were called the Zenkei Sangha, means inconceivable joy, named after my teacher. And I've been giving Jukai to people and ordained a couple of people without them going to the monastery. And traditionally, you don't ordain people unless they spend two or three years in the monastery. But the reason I feel fine about doing that is A, I ordain people when they're already doing an action that you know is suitable, like chaplaincy. But B, I believe that the training that one does in the monastery, which is wonderful, and if you ever get the chance to do it, go ahead, a day long, a week long, a couple of months, it's great. But you can do exactly the same thing in everyday life. So, for example, um, say I'm about to present at a meeting, you know, and I have my paper. If I'm feeling nervous, just for a few moments, I can remember William Blake, The Whole Universe in a Grain of Sand. 
and we do this for fun sometimes at the Sangha. Um, I can just look down at this piece of paper and make it my complete focus. Just for a few moments. The Tibetans say three breaths can break through uh, an emotional cascade or a worry. Three breaths can change things. So you can take your paper and, oh my goodness, look at that. There's a forest in there and all those trees grew because the sun shone on them. And the sun shone on them because the planet turned and there were thousands of people involved in making this piece of paper, the timber people, the hmm. And I'm actually holding the whole universe right here. So every ordinary thing in everyday life is that way and can be seen that way. So you're becoming I wrote it down somewhere on here. Yeah, we can shift from the self that focus on the self to the focus on universal reality but it doesn't mean we're sitting there all spaced out and can't do anything you know um, glasses meditation there's a really big one, glasses to stay in the moment meditation is too big a word glasses to stay in the moment right now you could all be the handsomest guys in the world, can't see you at all <laughs> so now I'm focusing, my main focus right now is sight so that I'm in touch and I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm focusing fiercely on that. And oh my goodness, you are the handsomest man in the world. So then I can use that, and that was long enough when I'm getting ready for a meeting to bring me right here. I can do the same thing by picking up the pen I'm holding, probably your iPad or something nowadays, but picking up a pen. So that was actually what I was going to talk about, how it doesn't have to be special. You know, the, the enlightenment experience isn't like, ah, it might be for somebody, I don't know. But to be able to really be here in whatever you're doing, that's what's really important. Because then the liberation's every moment, and everything you do is that. And you can, of course, see ultimate reality in every single thing. You know, think about what went into making this book. Think of before we could write. Um, talk about connection. You know, my dad worked in a factory where they made aluminum. Every time I pick up something with aluminum foil on it, I actually think of my father. And we can use that kind of thing, which could be seen formally as the mind wandering, to actually have the mind be right here. So every single action we take is the great liberation. You don't have to shave your head off, hair off, and go and stare at the wall. No more funny clothes or bibs. So everywhere I look, I see myself, to me, becomes a way of practicing that. Every time I look at one of you, I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at that larger self. You know, that's absolutely everything. And in times of... It's not that I'm saying we have to walk around doing, doing this all the time. I think it actually becomes a habit of mind. You know, we have jokes, funny words we use in our sangha to come back here. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, back here. Meanwhile, back at the plot, you know. Or when I'm sitting worrying about something, I often think, not here. That's not here. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting to live in the monastery. Notice you could spend weeks going on and on and on about something, and it wasn't there. <laughs> you know, usually a person. With me, I, I, it's interesting to... Don't, don't ignore your thoughts. It's interesting because sometimes... There are patterns. And I noticed I had one that was how hard done by I am. How people don't treat me well. And that was a pattern of thought that was affecting my behaviour. So that was interesting to catch. But if I'd gone up the road with it, you know, as my teacher says, the thoughts come in, but you don't have to invite them to sit down and have a cup of tea with you. But they could be interesting, a pattern like that. But on the whole... You know, if you're thinking about something, trying to figure out a problem, that's different, of course. 
and your focus practice, glasses focus or feet focus, actually improves your concentration enormously. They, I've seen it used in schools in Oakland, I went to a school where they were teaching just 10 minutes every morning to kids and all their scores went off the charts, their English, their math, everything. Because usually we're all over the place. And I just do have to say a word about this, this iPhone or whatever you call them, I don't have one. I have one that flips. <laughs> oh, nobody wants to steal those on the streets too, they're safer with flipping. But it really is, this has become a wee bit of a problem, they have classified it as an addiction. Um, I know it's fun, I can get caught up playing pudding pop and things like that, improving my brain. Um, but this I think, like I was sitting on my friend's doorstep, as I say I still smoke some cigarettes and I'm terrible, just awful, a monk with a bad habit. So I was sitting on the doorstep and it's right on 25th and it was just car after car after car after car. I think every second or third car, somebody while they were driving had that going. And I'm like, ah. you know, there's a crash waiting to happen. But they, they do, it has been classified as a new addiction. And as I said earlier, we all use something. Is it donuts? Is it bad relationships? You know, is it TV? Is it crack? You know, what is it you use to keep away? But this one, I think, is really creeping up on us. You know, and they've actually found that people have developed eyesight problems because you're supposed to look out at the horizon every now and then, not just right there. And people are losing a lot of, and children can't stop doing it. So anyway, although I did see a funny joke, someone said I had to tell a joke. So I saw this funny joke about always being connected to Facebook and social media, and it's this two or three men standing around in a church and there's a coffin there, they're at a funeral and it's very empty and one guy says to the other I don't understand why there's so few people at his funeral he had hundreds of friends on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um, everything you do can actually and that to me is so vital. I mean, why would you want to be away in imaginings all the time? You know, it's just an escape and it's not really even an escape. Yeah. Um, any, any other points? We still have a little bit of time. Yes, oh, lots of yes, yes. Um, oh, can I be present to your imagination be a form of being present? <laughs> well, of course, yeah, you're aware that things are going on and that can be fun and it can even be creative you know but to wander off into it a lot of the time and not be right here it's just that you're missing it because this is all we have right this and we can imagine anything I mean I often use the example I could imagine I'm a short thin blonde woman and nothing you know, and most of the time what our, what our thinking is doing is a bit of a poop down. You know, a lot of people in America, I've noticed, don't particularly care for themselves. And a lot of things that people say to you won't get to you. You're too tall. <laughs> You've got white hair. But if they say something you already believe, like, you're so stupid, that comes in. Because you're not right here in the moment, in this moment. That's just a belief. So to be able to stay present also makes you less vulnerable to the perception that things are coming at you from the outside, which is interesting. Ken, I wonder if you can say a bit more about that experience that you started talking about at the beginning of your talk, you know, the uh, enlightenment experience or, or near-death experience, well, however you want to label it, but uh, is this something that really profoundly changed your perception? Yeah. yeah. It must have been based on all the previous uh, work well, you did. As you know, um, I'm on disability now. I don't know if you know that, but I'm on disability. My health got very fragile. Um, I had a street ministry for years and kind of got worn out. But that sounds like, oh, I got worn out. I mean, it really got problematical. 
And I found out a few years that, cognitively speaking, I'm wired differently from most people. <laughs> you might have spotted something. In <laughs> <laughs> actual fact, that was the proof that these words are not coming from me. Just a wee short story, Scottish people tell stories. I had a half a day of cognitive test and it left me unable to speak because they were making me do things that my brain can't do. The day after that, I had to talk at the Gay Buddhist Sangha, and I was talking like that. I couldn't speak. So I got my student to drive me and get me there just in time. So I wouldn't have to talk to anybody like, you know, I like to socialise. I couldn't do that because I couldn't speak. So I got there just in time, sat down, and did a few moments of getting myself out of the way, which is what I do. And they said it was one of the best talks I ever gave. So just to let you know that this is this, these words, who knows where the heck they're coming from. But those cognitive breaks were getting bigger and bigger in my life anyway. And I was seeing it as rather negative, like often I don't recognise people. I know your face, but I always make jokes because I don't remember people's names very well. And it got to be a problem in my work. But... Recently I met a Tibetan practitioner at the end of last year and he said, I had a big one, I, I picked up my spoon and I didn't know what it was. Now that sounds great in the teachings, meet everything afresh. And he was talking to me like that was a great thing and I'm like, but in the West they call that dementia. I don't recognise my spoon, for God's sake, how am I going to get through life if I can't recognise a spoon? And so he said, no, it's a great breakthrough. And so then it, it happened again, and this Tibetan guy was there, a reincarnation of someone, and he said the same thing. And he said, sometimes what we're seeing as difficulties are actually more of an opening. You know, you can't get through pain by ignoring it. You have to go through it, so to speak. So he sees that the practice we do can lead to openings that go on throughout our life. They call them kensho in the teachings. Um, but always when you read stories, enlightenment, you know, a pebble hit a piece of bamboo and suddenly it was greatly enlightened. And it hadn't felt that way to me, you know. But I can see what he's talking about. To bear awareness practice is actually what we've been kind of talking about today, to just be right here, just aware of what's going on and not go taking off. So, yes, it has been a, a, a thing that's been developing for years. Um, but for a long time I was seeing it as a wee bit negative because it was so hard to... It was beginning to be hard to function in uh, you know, this reality, so to speak. But that's a big mistake. There's no separate realities. People think, you go away somewhere. You know, no, this is it. That's what I mean. This right here is it. And all I want to do now is try and convey that before I do finally fall over and not get up again. It just seems so important because all of us go through such suffering. And I know there's nobody sitting here that hasn't been through some tragedy in their life or stuff, events that just seem way too much to cope with. And often we can end up feeling like damaged goods. There's something wrong, you know. But it's really important before you, you know, go to the big whatever in the sky to know that there is nothing wrong. And this is it right now. And this right here, this caring for each other, this connection, this knowing that we are all part of the one thing, this love that we can share with each other, that's what's important, you know just to be able to know that we're right here. I mean, one time in the middle of it, the last night of a seven-day sitting, and we'd all been silent, we're all starting to congratulate ourselves. Ooh, did it. You know? mm. <laughs> Made it through seven days. And one of the priests who was leading it um, just suddenly spoke out, and he suddenly said, this is your last breath. And you could, you could kind of hear everybody going... <gasps> And then he said, the next one's a gift. In fact, they're all a gift. You know? 
I think it's just really important for us as human beings to realize that. That it's not, we're not looking for some special golden state where nothing's going to hurt anymore or something like that. That's not reality. But that this actually, this right here is reality. And it's, I've never met anyone in the shelters or hospice or on the streets, anybody, or businessmen, or high up Zen people, I've never met anybody that can't do this simple practice of being right here. And I think it gets obscured. People think, well, no, that can't possibly, that's so simple. I'll have to go off and read some Tibetan master, or I have to go run up the road and go and study that. But it is that simple. You know, in the, in the teachings it says intelligence or lack of it does not matter. If this isn't for everybody, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. So, I did see another few hands up there. Uh, just a quick question on your comment about alcohol being yeah. um, uh, higher and higher <coughs> than you know, yes. <coughs> Why does the teachings uh, disdain alcohol to that degree? And, and is that across the board, you know, having a glass of wine every so often to a three-day binge, does that, I mean, it's all in one? Well, <laughs> I mean, my angle comes from, I want to be able to teach in a way that I can talk to everybody. And in traditional religions, actually, it's alcohol is often very frowned on, or it's whoop de doo and it's all part of everything. And... My work is in harm reduction mode, which means I would love it if all of us, including myself, can lessen the harm we do to ourselves. So the chart I'm talking about, you can find it online, harm caused by drugs, it's called something like that. And alcohol is the most harmful because they look at the harm it causes to yourself and the harm it causes to your family and friends. So... What I'm saying, if I, if I said no, alcohol, bleh, then I wouldn't be able to talk to about 85% of the American population. You know, a lot of people. Everybody uses something, like I said earlier, and alcohol is very popular. Just for some of us, it's really dangerous. I mean, I should have known the first time I tried it, I passed out. But no, I mean, in Scotland, woohoo, you don't go out for a drink, you go out to get really drunk. It's like, you know, the Eskimo folks, or oh, that's not the right word anymore, but anyway, they have lots of words for snow. And in Scotland, we had lots of words for getting drunk. <laughs> and some folks are fine with it, and I'm not saying that you can't have a glass of wine or something, that's fine. But for some of us, it's like the devil incarnate. For me, you know, it, I managed to hold off on it for quite a while, but eventually it was a terrible problem. And by the time I was 25, I just couldn't do without it. And it was, you know, and you're hiding it. And, you know, you're out with friends. You go to the bar to buy a round and you buy yourself a double, knock that back at the bar, and then you go back with the drinks. I mean, I knew all the tricks, you know. And I've tried most drugs in my teens and 20s, and most of them didn't get me. But wisdom is known what you can use to have fun, because we've always done that all throughout history, thousands of years, something. But to, tr to have the wisdom to choose the one that doesn't grab you and run you around, that's the most important thing. So no, I'm not at all against um, people. So that chart, does it refer to, is it based on like aggregate harm across society? As opposed to an individual level? Because I mean, no, it's more like than a glass individual. of wine at dinner sounds better than like doing crack in the bathroom. Right, right. And yeah, in fact, the guy who did the study is a British study. Um, it is on my Facebook page in the photos part. You could find it there. I think you could find it just by putting it in. In actual fact, he was fired from his job as a scientist in this research place about on drugs and alcohol because because he put alcohol as the most harmful. And it was on an individual level, the harm it does to you. I mean, mm. over time it can really wreck your body, but people who are not used to it, we're always hearing about young college students, and you can easily drink too much. It was measured on the number of effective doses it takes to kill you. 
that was the personal harm. And then the other part was going out and uh, harming the family, you know, having bad relationships and all that kind of thing. But you can find the whole thing and the write-up, it's still current, okay. it's online. But there, yeah, they fired him. I also thought that was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, your talk is really up for me. Um, my friend Matt, uh, my friend Tracy, <coughs> was getting ready for work and dropped at 52 years old. That was it. This is he had a massive heart attack. And three weeks ago, I was riding with a friend to Santa Barbara, and um, we were laughing, happy, dogs were licking our face. Ten seconds later. I was upside down. She had been ejected from the vehicle and had died instantly. And um, <clears throat> I really related to your moment. And I feel like my practice just became automatic in that moment. Like as the car was flipping at 70 miles an hour, side over side, I was very, I was awake. I was, I just related to Spooky when you were talking about that relaxed sensation because I was thinking, well, this is probably it. Probably gonna end. And one of the bangs is gonna be lights out, grass through the windshield, flip, sky, you know, ground, sky, and just like, um, yeah, and then 10 seconds later, it was like one person was gone. And, um, and then just Thursday, one of our teachers at my school started feeling funny, and she died um, of anger. So, just to put the point for me is really raw about like we really I like what you said about like we this breath our last breath because the next thing's a gift like we just really don't really 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 don't know just I don't know why I'm getting all these I really I'm kind of resent all these real life examples of why it's not so just be right now this is it. You have to really be kind to yourself just now. That's a lot all at once. I can see in your face that something was something had been happening. And I mean, it can sound kind of like, oh yeah, we're all going to die, you know. Eat well, exercise, you know, die anyway. <laughs> so it can seem kind of miserable. You know, and we go through all of this, and then what? Then we get to that moon. You know. But to me, the whole essence of being right here is we get that intense experience of really being here. You know, Mary Oliver's got a poem, which is something about when I die, I don't want to look back on my life and wish I'd lived, you know. I mean, now, when I go, I mean, this has been absolutely amazing, you know. I mean, I really am a poor working-class kid from Scotland with a fake accent, and here I am sitting here. I mean, it's, you know, it's just been amazing. But that's the importance of being right here in every moment. It's not <laughs> some intellectual exercise or... Oh, I'm very religious, look at me, I can stay in every moment. You're not in the moment while you're thinking that. <laughs> but it's because this is it, this really is it, as Blanche says, this is it. And nothing else that you can imagine or wander off and think about is reality. There's a wonderful book which I'd love to do. I'm a bit sad that I'm so far away. I'd love to do a regular reading group with you guys, the Avatam Saka Sutra. No discussion, nothing. And the book that I used to like to read when I was at Tassajara is called Empty, Entry into the Realm of Reality. And that's what all this is about. No matter how many different texts you read or different teachers or whatever, it's coming right here into reality, into this. About four minutes. Anybody else have anything they'd like to say? I do have a one roomy poem, which I actually had, I used to have the very first time I had a business card, I had it on it. And you probably, a lot of you will know it, and I, with my memory I couldn't quite recall it all, so I had to look at it this morning. You know, there's advantages to bad memory too. Mm -hmm. It's not all downhill once you get older. 
It's kind of nice when you take your glasses off and you can't really see, it's relaxing. <laughs> and then the bad memory, you know, like I met an old friend a few weeks ago, she came to Jikoji for a retreat, and we were having a great time, and, and I, I seem to have this memory that we didn't get on. <laughs> and so near the end of our great time for five days or six days or something, she said, oh, it is nice. It's like being dear old friends. I said, yes, isn't it? Just like being dear old friends. And I'm like, there was some reason we weren't there. So I said to her, I think there was some reason that we didn't get along. You know, and I remember you made it up to me by sewing the envelope from my case off for my full robe. I said, but it strikes me there was something about our relationship that wasn't working. And we didn't, one of us or whatever, we didn't care for each other very much. I said, but, you know, my memory's gotten awful lately. And I said, but I can't remember what it was. And she said, oh, I remember. <laughs> she said, I remember every bit of it. I can tell you exactly why we didn't get along. And I'm like, don't. <laughs> so don't think that your memory going is all bad. I'm free. I have no idea what we fell out about, what we're arguing about. <laughs> so now she's like this dear old friend. Thank goodness it wasn't anything terrible. Here's, here's the wee poem that I wrote down that I had on my business card. Of course, right above it, everywhere I look, I see myself. Out beyond ideas of right doing or wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul, or the self, lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other, doesn't make any sense. Even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Anything else? We're about out of time, so... No, wait, I have to check, is everybody enlightened, though? Woohoo! <laughs> 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 Thank you so much, So, uh, a couple of announcements. The usual one about the uh, Dana Bowl, uh, which is uh, the one that will be passed around uh, uh, today, that uh, suggested donation is $10, and that helps us think everything we do in this uh, wonderful sangha. Uh, we have uh, uh, other announcements. Uh, anybody? Yeah. Well, Kenny, I'm the host for today. And uh, just a few things. Um, if you're new to GBF and want to get onto the mailing list, you can, there's a sign-up sheet uh, right uh, on the counter here, and uh, I've got some strawberries and cookies, so please enjoy them, and if, if you're going to have tea, uh, please remember to wash your cup with hot, soapy water, and at 12.30, some people will gather in front of the front door and uh, go for lunch together, so I think that's it, and I'll be walking around passing uh, with the data board, so you can look for me if you want to. There are uh, free copies on the table out here of uh, Queer Dharma Volumes 1 and 2. It's an anthology of um, writings by gay men about their experience with Buddhism. So. Mostly men in the gay Buddhist fellowship. Probably before many, many of us here. It's written by some of us here. And then some other books too. Did you mm -hmm. mention yes. There's some others out there. Take a look. <laughs> okay, and also uh, the next week's uh, Dharma speaker will be John Burney, uh, who's a contemporary spiritual teacher focused on the unfolding of uh, natural wakefulness. It's funny how that team natural gets repeated. Wakefulness. Wakefulness. That's when you don't use an alarm anymore. Oh. <laughs> How to train your cat to jump. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, folks, so uh, let's uh, do our dedication of merit. Uh, and as we do that, uh, let's uh, give a thought to uh, our gracious uh, friends that recently passed away. <clears throat> By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month, and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.